Recode Radio presents Recode Media with Peter Kafka, powered by digital media. This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. Today's sponsor is SoFi. SoFi is transforming the world of banking. They recognized how unhappy people were with banks, so they decided there had to be a better way, and they made one. Find out more about them at SOFI.com. Terms and conditions apply at SoFi.com. Today is also sponsored by Mac Weldon. These guys make awesome socks, underwear, hoodies, sweatpants. But here's the thing. I've bought these socks myself with my own cash money. I've also made my mother-in-law buy them for me at Christmas. They're awesome. I wore them when I interviewed John Skipper on stage. I'm wearing them right now talking to Adrian. Adrian, you can't see my socks, but I'm wearing them. Do I look comfortable? You look very comfortable. I look very comfortable. Uh, I should also tell you, Mac Weldon's socks are antimicrobial, which is science talk for you're not going to smell bad when you wear them. Uh, You can wear them a lot. You can wear them when you work out. You can wear them when you go on an airplane, as I just did, even if you go on dates. If you order from Mac Weldon, they will give you your first order free if for some reason you don't like them, but you will. And if you order from me, you can get 20% off your order. So use the promo code RECODE at MacWeldon.com. The promo code is RECODE. How to do, Adrian? Excellent. Okay. You weren't even reading. You were looking at me the whole time. That was the most impressive thing. So that voice you hear is Adrian Wojnowski. Did I butcher your name? No. I got it right. I'm going to call you Woj from now on. We practiced long enough before, though. We did. We did. We did some practicing. I read it on the subway here, too. (laughs) Adrian is the star of the internet sports world. He's also got a podcast. Uh, In fact, we podcast out of the same group, Digital Media. Your podcast and the sports vertical are called the same thing, right? Yeah, it's the Vertical Podcast with Woj. And we also have the Vertical Podcast with J.J. Reddick, plays for the LA Clippers, and Chris Mannix, who's part of the Vertical, which is our website on Yahoo Sports, our NBA site. So up until now, most people who are listening to this will know you from your byline at Yahoo, right? That's where you first became really famous. Well, yes, I guess. I, I've been at Yahoo since 99. No, 2000. I've been at Yahoo since 2007. So long you cannot remember. I can't remember. So yeah. we'll wind up circling back to how you got there. But since, since there's news, let's talk about the news. You work at Yahoo. Yahoo is in the news because we don't know what's going to happen to Yahoo. It may get bought and something may happen to it. I read this morning that Time Inc. might end up buying it. So what is it like to launch a new site with this sort of un- cloud of uncertainty over your head that seems to get sort of bigger all the time? The thing that I focus on in this job is the job and what I can do and with our staff and our group that the mandate every day doesn't change. Whatever else is being discussed on the outside, we need to break news, write great stories, have great analysis, great video, do great podcasts, drive traffic, engage sponsors, all the things that we've got to do day in and day out. If we do those things and become self-sustainable on the vertical, that we'll be fine whatever happens. But listen, change is a part of this industry. Change is a part of all of our businesses. And the minute you get distracted by what's going on around there, then you're losing sight of what you can control every day. So it's, it's kind of a heads down, do your job, the rest of it will work out answer. It, it has to be. And it it's has to be. It, kind of an answer an athlete would give you, right, if you asked them about any sort of off-court distraction. And, and there's a reason people use cliches like that, right? Because they're actually helpful and, and oftentimes true. So let's, we can circle back to Yahoo, but I want to talk about how you got there. I want to talk about the state of sports reporting. Up until you went to work for Yahoo, I think you had a fairly traditional sort of trajectory in sports. Do you want to give us the shorthand? You're, you're, you're an East Coast guy, right? Mm-hmm. Born and raised in Connecticut? Yes. Bristol, Connecticut, of all places. Home of? Home of uh, the Bristol Central High School Rams. I was going to do the, the soundtrack, but I'll wait. I was lucky at a very young age. I always knew I wanted to do this. 
you know, my dad worked in a factory for 40 years. My brother is an automobile mechanic. There's nothing in my background that would suggest that I would have been attracted to write and to report and to tell stories. But, but I was from a very early you age. Figure, how'd you figure that out? You know, I just, I love to write. I love to tell stories and, and I love sports. And I could tell at a pretty young age that sports was a great canvas to tell stories on. And I... Were you someone who thought, oh, maybe I'll be an NBA star and then realized that wasn't going to happen. Maybe I'll write about the NBA instead. <laughs> I never once thought I was going to play. I played baseball, played hoops, loved it, but I had no illusions about what was ahead for me. And, and I got a job, really the biggest break I got was as a high school junior, getting a job in the sports department at the Hartford Current. My high school Spanish teacher knew that I had an interest in it. I wrote for the school paper. Her husband, Jim Shea, was, was a prominent writer at the Hartford Current. So they need guys in the sports department to answer phones and got a job in there. And I'd work weeknights in there. I'd go to baseball practice in the springtime and then get in the car and drive to Hartford 25 minutes away and stay in there till 10 o'clock at night on my shift. And then when my shift would end, it's amazing my parents never wondered, like get home, you have school the next day, but they allow, I would stay in the office and read in what was the queue. You would read the stories and they had a great staff at the Current and you would read the edited stories, the edited versions of columns and features and news stories. And you could see in the glow, uh, I think it was the ATEX system, you could see how the stories were edited. You could see what the writer had written and how the editor changed it. That was a tremendous education for me. It's like a, being, this is like being a gym rat, but you're, you're at, a, at a paper. You get to sort of watch, see how the plumbing works. You get to see behind the scenes. And, and again, this is, this is an era... I'm guessing what eighties, eighties when, when papers were still in their Thriving. ascent, or at least hadn't. The I mean, Hartford Current hadn't covered everything. They covered New York, Boston. They covered big national events. Alan Greenberg, who passed away a few years, was their columnist. And I remember when the first nights I worked in the office, he had written a column that had inspired the ire of readers. And I spent my whole night just answering angry phone calls about this Alan Greenberg column. And I'm like, this is this is awesome. the life for me. I this love it. This is awesome. Yeah, this is awesome. I was a copy boy at the St. Paul Pioneer Press. I wasn't allowed to touch anything except for the lottery results, which they said was the most important part of the paper. I believe them. Um, so you're, you're hanging out at the paper. Uh, I assume you go to college or something? Yeah, I went to St. Bonaventure University in upstate New York. Did lots of things there. Had a tremendous experience there. Mike Vaccaro lived on my floor. He's a columnist at the New York Post. Knocked on his door first week of school. Heard he was the editor of the paper. He was in the room with his girlfriend at the time, but he answered the door. It's amazing. And came to the door and I had to tell him all about myself and and got my start. And then from Bonaventure, I'd still work at The Current when I'd come home on school breaks. They'd let me get hours in the office. Then after graduation, the market was really down. I had literally my room, my dorm room my senior year was covered with rejection letters from newspapers I, all I, over the country. I taped I, them all up. I had the same ones. I didn't put them up, but yeah. Yeah. So, but the traditionally the route, right, was leave college, go to work at a very small, small paper, paper, and, and then, then bigger papers. Bigger That's paper, what I did. And then at one day in your 40s or 50s, you could meet, reach a sort of mid-market if things all worked Listen, out. Listen, I, I dreamed of, at the time, I thought if I could get back and get to the Hartford Current and maybe cover UConn basketball for the Hartford Current someday, that would be... A be great goal. Could, could, I, could I get the University of Hartford beat for them? Because you'd get to travel. You could go to Orono, Maine or Durham, New Hampshire for those conference games. And so I worked in Waterbury for four years, went to Fresno for two and a half years, and then back east to the uh, Record, uh, which is a suburban paper in Jersey that played much bigger than it is, still does, and got into the New York market and was there eight or nine years before I made the jump to Yahoo. So you get, to New, you get around New York, which is a pretty big deal. And then I think at some point you're also doing ESPN columns. Yeah, at the very beginning of their 
internet. It was called ESPN Sports Zone. They didn't have much of a staff. Actually, one of the editors there had known me as a young reporter at the Hartford Current. Jim Jenks was there at ESPN.com at the time. And, and I would freelance columns for them. I would do general columns, sometimes feature stuff. When I was at the record, they really didn't have a staff there yet. They were building that out and, and did that for a few years. So you go to Yahoo 2006, 2007, and I remember that time because Forbes uh, at the time, or Forbes.com at the time, actually, and the internet had gone from being a really interesting thing where people might make a lot of money, and there was the crash, and we all realized, no, the internet's kind of really not a place where you go if you're a real journalist. You go to a print publication, you go to a magazine. Uh, the internet sort of second rate. It's not the traveling team. So what made you go to Yahoo at a time when Yahoo was not considered a place you went to read about sports? Well, I had felt that I was a general columnist at the record, which when you were a young reporter in sports, you looked at the Harvey Aritons, the New York Times, the Eno Connors at the New York Daily News, you know, the Mike Lupicas. You aspired to be those guys. They had the best jobs. They got to go cover, you know, the Super Bowl and the finals, NBA finals and the Olympics. They were the preeminent journalists at their paper. But I could tell at that time that the business was going away from generalists and it was headed towards specialization. You could see that. I could. Maybe it was the one thing I was ever ahead on. And so I had chances to leave the Bergen record for big, big papers, but kind of felt like I'm not going to start over as a columnist in a major market because I think I better get to the internet. And so I waited for the right one to come. And Yahoo, Dan Wetzel had gone to Yahoo Sports. And Dan and I had talked at length before he made the jump from it was at the time CBS Sportsline to Yahoo, and we had had conversations about what Yahoo could be. So when Dan went there, and then they hired Dave Morgan as the executive editor, and then a, the NBA job opened, and they called me and said, what do you think of this? And the more I thought of it, I said, this makes can, sense. Can we back up, though? Because in 2005, 2006, you said, I've got to get on the internet. That's the future. If you're at a decent-sized newspaper publication, you're in the minority if you think that. So what was the thing that sort of made that light click for you? You could just see it, the newspaper that you knew that space was getting squeezed. Like, I remember how shocked I was at the record when they were putting ads on the front page of the section. I said, geez, that looks awful. Why are we doing that? But of course, now everybody does that. And it just felt like, and again, the generalist, you know, everybody was getting a voice on the internet. And I'd always been, when I went to New York and what I learned and what served me better than uh, as much as anything did Trying to compete against Ian O'Connor, Harvey Aratan, Mike Lupico when he was younger, maybe more so when he was younger, that you had to be a reporting-based columnist. It wasn't enough just to give your opinion. You had to advance the story. You had to get somebody, a player, a coach, an executive on the record, something that advances a story that you had something nobody else had every day. And if you didn't do that in the New York market, you got destroyed. And I, I can't tell you how many times early in my columnist career there where I didn't want to get out of bed in the morning because I would read all those papers every day and I went, I got destroyed. I wrote the wrong column. I didn't talk to the right people. These, I, I can't keep, and it was either you were going to give up or you were going to say, I've got to be better. I've got to push even harder. And I felt like I did. And I never caught up to those guys, but I think maybe I closed the gap a little bit. And so reporting to me, and it goes back to me, the essence of what we do. If you can give people something that they can't get anywhere else, you have value. And Generally, that is not an opinion because there are lots of opinions. And so reporting to me has always been the crux. And you wanted that slot yeah. and you thought you could get it at the internet. And so you jumped there instead of getting pushed there. Yes. There's no question it was a decision. Like I said, I turned down some other newspaper opportunities thinking, what's the right thing? And the idea of doing the NBA appealed to me. 
you know, I had done the general column thing where you're just parachuting in all over. I'd done it a long time. And I like the idea of trying to get ownership on one world. And I, when I got in at Yahoo, did they say to me, we want you to beat ESPN on news? They didn't. I don't think they envisioned a world where I could do it or we could do it. But I quickly did. I quickly saw a world in which if I grind at this and I build relationships and a combination of reporting and writing and storytelling and breaking news, that there's a way to make an imprint very quickly in this world. But it takes a long time to build relationships, build your credibility in that world. But I, I love that. I've always liked being around gyms. I've always liked the game. I like the people in basketball in the industry. And I think they're great talkers generally, great perspective. And so they lend themselves to, you know, the NBA was perfect for the internet in that it's an individual-based sport. The star players drive everything. And the star players drive traffic on the internet. There's lots of conflict among teams and groups, controversies. Those things drive interest. The NBA was perfect for what we wanted to do. So let's talk about that and how you built your career at Yahoo. One second, now we're going to talk about SoFi, our sponsor. It's a new kind of company that's about to send shockwaves through the financial world. SoFi decided that banks aren't going to fix banking, so they brought some smart thinking to the table. They're not a big bank, so SoFi is progressive, they're nimble, they're innovative. They don't judge you based on your FICO score. Instead, they look at your potential. And if you show promise, they'll back you for life. Because SoFi is totally unlike a bank, they can provide services and rates that banks can't. So if you're looking for a financial partner that does a whole lot more than finance, visit SoFi.com. That's S-O-F-I.com. Terms and conditions apply at SoFi.com. So let's go back to Yahoo and sort of what the mandate was when you went there, because I, th- I imagine it has changed for you over time. When you came over, they said, go write about sports, go write about the NBA. Did they want you to break news or they just wanted to have a presence? So when people came to the homepage of Yahoo, they'd have something to look at. I think they wanted a presence on the NBA. And listen, I quickly saw that breaking news on the Internet, it drives traffic. It drives, you know, really owning the news cycle has tremendous benefits. And then it allows there, you... There, by the way, there's a school of thought uh, by genuinely smart people that says breaking news is overrated because news is a commodity and, and you break it 30 seconds later, it's no longer news. It gets aggregated. What's really smart is being able to find a way to, to say something interesting about it. We all dismissive term now is hot take. Why go through all the labor of breaking the news when you can just write about the work someone else has done uh, and deliver more value that way? Well, I disagree with it. I, I completely reject that premise. I think that, again, it drives, we have to drive traffic. We have to. And you can do it two ways. You can do the other way, throw out stupid trade rumors that have no basis in fact. You can, you can or, do just, that. or just draft off your work or, and just or, say you reported this and now we're going to say something else about it. Right. But I think when you break news, it does drive traffic. You get that link up. And listen, not every breaking news story is this trade just happened or this coach was fired, this coach was hired. A lot of it is so-and-so is interviewing for the head coaching job in Golden State. So-and-so has turned down an offer. Like, that's not news that somebody else has in five minutes. Like, you have that exclusively. I agree on a trade and some of those things that can get out. But there's lots of news stories. I did investigations on the Players Association into banking, into the Players Association's Billy Hunter, their former executive director, into was a very suspect investment that he was trying to get the Players Association to make into a bank in South Jersey that had financial ties to he and his son. 
that's news too. And no one's getting that 10 minutes later. Well, that's there, months, that's months of work. There's two different things, right? There's Can someone match you, right? Can ESPN match whatever trade story you just reported? And that's one kind of news that they have to follow up on. But there's just an entire ecosystem of, of blogs, whatever, and not just about sports, everything, that just exists purely to just sort of take other people's copy, right. restack them. Um, they can do quite well, right? It doesn't take a lot of manpower. I mean, you can go very quickly. It's. It seems like you're not even thinking about that sort of way of, of building up. I, I could up never. A new I'd site. rather. I'd rather go help my brother at his garage in Bristol. I'd rather help him go pick up parts for him. Like I, I can't. To me, that would be more of a. I can't subsist off other people's work. Does it it's drive be, you nuts when no, you see people doing that? It doesn't drive me nuts. I get it. Like there's an ecosystem here, but not every role's for everybody. And what I I have respect for lots of different ways to contribute in this medium. Not everybody has to be the same. Not everybody has to do it the way I do it, and I don't need to do it the way others do it. But I do know what I do has value. I've proven that. And what we've done at Yahoo and what we're doing with the vertical, and I'm sure we'll talk about Twitter, but Twitter played a part in building our readership and building uh, an identity because they saw, hey, they're getting stuff first there. ESPN couldn't pretend they were breaking stories that they hadn't broken. They used to try, but they couldn't do it anymore because you know people aren't sitting on two sides hitting the refresh button to see who had it right. first. Or if they're manipulating a timestamp and all the stuff that went on. Uh, what was the? I do want to talk about Twitter, but prior to Twitter, what was the story that that put you on the map at Yahoo? I remember one of the first big NBA stories I broke was Greg Oden in Portland was, and that was before Twitter. I remember that he was out for the season with this is the whatever big center one for of the Portland. top draft picks. Yeah, it was his the, rookie year. Yeah. I remember getting that piece and taking me forty five minutes to confirm with a second source that he was out, and but there was. Maybe there was Twitter. I wasn't on it. I don't think there it was viable. And so then you get it up on your site, and you just hope people. Is anybody looking? Are they seeing it? And then, but they did, and you started to do that. I remember Yao Ming's retirement was further. That might have been as big of a story globally. I remember I was on vacation with my family in upstate New York, and I remember I pulled off on a little dirt road, struggling to get service. And I remember I, I had it that he had retired. He had put his papers in with the league office. And I tweeted it first, and then I called, I think I called in with an editor and helped dictate a story that they got up to get the And that's up. a particularly big deal because he's a global superstar. Global star, so, global. so if, you're, if you're looking at traffic, it helps to write about the biggest Chinese player in the world. Yeah. And you are one of those guys who pulls over in the middle of your family vacation oh. to file a story. The you know, how many times I've changed lanes with my family in the car? Like, how many times I've, <laughs> I've rolled through two lanes and they pull off? It's like normal procedure in my family to... Like how many times like my son or my wife or my daughter are like, because I don't text and drive. And I, there probably is a way I can do it with Siri, but I haven't figured it out yet. But I'll, to have them texting back with a oh, source. Oh, so you've got them on the payroll as your, as your texter? Yeah, it. yeah. The worst thing, probably the worst thing I did was we were coming home from the Olympics in uh, London. My family came for the end of the Olympics. And I was on the plane getting ready to take off. And Serge Ibaka had gotten a new contract, an extension in Oklahoma City. And... I had that he had the extension, but I didn't have the contract number yet. And so we're on the runway and the 
I'm sitting with my son and I made him hold up a newspaper or a magazine because the flight attendant was like, put your phones away. And I was just trying to get the figure. So he thought this was a funny game. So he's holding up the paper and he thought it was like the Argo movie. We're like, we're taking off. And can I tweet out the number before we're too far in the air? Yeah. And we did. It was did. just like Argo. You're, yeah. You're there, was saving as and much, there was certainly as much at stake, yeah, right? Sure. You know, there was as much at stake, but uh yeah, there's every boat reporter has those stories. But like you're on call all the time and like I've spent Disney vacations with my family sitting. Well, that I just came back yeah. from Disney. It's good to have a distraction when you're at Disney. You, you, you want to have a reason to sit out. The, but, the Gilbert Arena story the, with the guns. I remember reporting that out, sitting plugged in by the bathroom, having my cell phone plugged in there, texting all day while my family was were on rides and. Like, that's where I did the reporting for it, sitting in the park right. that day. So you're already one of these crazy, high metabolism, gotta have the scoop guys. You move to the internet, which is built for that. Then comes Twitter, which sort of supercharges all of this. I think Twitter is super interesting to talk about it in journalism in general. It's also, there's a real affinity between Twitter and the NBA. The players are real active Twitter users. What has Twitter meant for you as a reporter and as a distributor of news? Well, two things. It certainly built our, quote, unquote, I don't like the word brand, but it built our reputation on news of being accurate, of being first and accurate. But then it also opens up, you know, the other, I do long form pieces and do sit down interviews with guys and get guys to open up and talk and do and write columns off of, you know, whether it's in the playoffs or where there's, there's a, a broader piece or broader theme to do off of a big game. As you increase your followers, now you're increasing your audience for when you post those columns and those pieces. Now you have more people with access to your work to click. So when people say something doesn't have great value in a silo or individually, certain lesser breaking news things, but when they increase your Twitter following, then you're increasing your, that's more people every day who have access to all the other links and things you put up there that do have value. So, so everything the, are, you, are there that. things that you only tweet out? Do you use other stories where you're only yes. going to tweet out stuff? And then you debate, all right, maybe everything that I should tweet out should, should go on the website. And there's an ongoing debate again in journalism. Like you, you should, if you're going to write a story, you should write the story, then tweet it out. Why would you send out your story on Twitter instead of the, the site that you work for? Every time that I feel like I have the time and I have, do I have an exclusive window here? To get the story written and get it up first, of course I would rather do that. And I would rather our writers in the vertical do it that way. Sometimes that time in which it takes for you to get a story sent in and posted in the link, someone else is going to tweet the news out when you got beat. So that's a question you're always grappling with. The preference is always to get the link and the story up first. But there are times you can't You get ownership of the story by breaking it. And I would still say that, and our numbers will show this, that getting the link up and getting the further details, that still drives a lot of traffic. It does. And again, in financial news, there's a logic to, you got to get the news out because it's going to move the market or, or, or there's dollars and cents. There's Reuters and Bloomberg sell subscriptions where they, people can trade off this stuff so that the seconds matter. If you're talking about draft stuff, you're talking about contract stuff in the NBA, why does getting something up first matter? Why does beating somebody by a minute or 10 minutes matter? I'm competitive. I want to win. Doesn't matter. I want us to win. Doesn't you matter. You could be reporting I, about whatever. Yeah. And I, I, don't, I don't apologize for it. I know people say, and I, listen, I, I won't argue with somebody who says it doesn't matter to them. I would counter that there's a tremendous audience that it does matter to. Not everybody. I, I understand people don't want the picks on draft night. Some don't, but many do. And my thing is, if I have the information and I have the news and I've confirmed it and verified it, I'm going to report it. 
And you're making reference to a, a few years ago where you were tweeting out draft picks before they were announced on yeah, stage, Yeah, and I've right? done it consistently. It wasn't... That was a particularly cool sort of... Stunt's the wrong word, but achievement, right? Were you able to sort of tell your audience on Twitter what was happening in the NBA draft before it was being announced live on television? Yeah, but just like we would have trades before, like on draft night, there's trades. And listen, we're going to do... On the vertical, we're going to do... We did a trade deadline live show video show, like live streaming, a television show out of our studios in New York. And we're going to do it around the draft. We're going to do it around free agency. That will bring more value to, to our sponsors and the people that we can give people something they can't get anywhere else, including on a network. They can get it first by watching us. So we'll take that from Twitter and we'll bring it on live video. So you've reached the point in your career, you have enough stature that you got an entire profile written about you in the New Republic. It's a negative profile. It's a critical profile. The two big beefs they have with you are one that you're mixing opinion with with fact, which seems to me to be not a critique. It seems to be what people do, and the other is they've got a beef with your sourcing. That there's too much anonymous sourcing, in particular to particular sources. Right. Um, in a story full of anonymous sources. In a story full of anonymous right. sources. There's people quoted on the record too. What's your general sort of response? People say, "Well, you're too friendly to X player or X coach or X manager." You have to build relationships and trust in this business. And if you don't, you won't be able to do this job. And I know what my ethics are, and I know how I do the job, and I know how I source, and I know the kinds of sourcing, the high-level sourcing I use with things. And the first thing you said, I was taught, and I learned that the best column writing is an informed opinion. So the idea that reporting-based columns don't have value, I, I don't get it. And so... I've made my job a hybrid of a lot of things. I came in to be a columnist at Yahoo at the time, to write columns and profiles in the NBA. And then I morphed into a newsbreaker. Well, I'm going to do both because I feel like I do both well and both serve an audience. You and I are agreeing, sir. I think the internet is the best possible place for this too, where if you just wanted facts, you would just go get them from anywhere because they're literally right. a commodity. Right. And, and so, listen, I, when you look on my Twitter and it says column, here's the column. That's an opinion piece, right? And and the fact that there's reporting in there, the fact that there's sourcing of information that I can take you behind the scenes and take you deeper, to me, that really serves your readership. That has great value. That's what I always aspired to and the guys that I looked up in the business to, that's how they did it. And just because I work really hard at breaking news too, I don't see how, why they have to be mutually exclusive. And the, the New Republic piece is very specific. It says you, you've got a beef with, again, according to anonymous sources, with LeBron James and his team or his management team around him. Any truth to that? I would say it's a lot easier if somebody would say, here's an individual piece. Listen, I'll always go back and look at columns I've written in pieces and say, in retrospect, you're, I mean, you're not being honest with yourself. If you don't look back and say, was I too hard on somebody? Was I too easy on somebody? I know now things I know then. I would say this on LeBron and my coverage of LeBron. I've written far more positive pieces about him. But the point is, as people and their actions evolve, so does the coverage. And with him, as you saw an evolution in him as a player, as a person, you saw the coverage evolve. And it's hard to, it's hard to defend a broad, vague, you're anti this, you're pro that, where I would just say, let's go through and look at specific examples because that's easier to discuss. Listen, I get it. It's a competitive business. And when people in this business get beat over and over and over, they've got to explain to their editors why two guys at Yahoo are kicking their ass every day. They've got to go back to editors and explain 
why it is because we're not working as hard as they are. We aren't as committed to it as they are. It's easy to go and perpetuate this narrative and these stories to willing writers, other people who want to cover this industry. I get it, but it's a competitive business and either you're going to compete or you're going to come up with excuses why you got your ass kicked. And, you know, to me, that speaks to a lot of, I'm glad to get in the circle and get in the ring and compete. When I get beat, I look in the mirror and I say, what could I have done more? To me, you look in the mirror and you try to be better at your job the next day. So you had a whopper when you launched the news site uh, a few weeks ago. You said, you know, Kevin Durant, Oklahoma City, got a contract coming up. He's sort of thinking about Golden State. Mm -hmm. Golden State's sort of thinking about him. Big whopper story. got covered a lot. I happened to be listening to Bill Simmons' podcast. Did you hear this? Mm -hmm. Where he said, oh, well, that you know, that's an interesting story. I don't blame him for writing it. But, you know, obviously it's not true. And, and he's a good reporter. So obviously he got turned around by his sources. You must get that sort of response a lot, right? Which no, is, I understand. Bill, which is listen, I get it. Bill's a fan. He's a fan of the NBA. He's a fan. He, he doesn't do this, what we do. So I would understand that he wouldn't. I do know what you're talking about. And I think he said something to the effect of some other team put me onto it, put it up to her. Yeah, yeah. Words. That you guys, As you guys if, spun like, around. At this point in my career, like that I would allow that to happen. Like I don't write a story like that about Kevin Durant, about a mutual interest between Golden State Teams plan out their free agency years in advance. It doesn't matter if they're 45 and 4 or 4 and 45. Golden State's been planning their free agency for next summer since last year before they won a title. That's how it works in the NBA. And players know the landscape. They're thinking about, you know, what's out there for them coming in free agency. So, listen, there were no there was nobody in Golden State or Kevin Durant's camp who came out after to say, "Hey, none of that's true." I mean, nobody said anything. They're not going to, but Listen, there's an interest there. Now, Kevin Durant may stay in Oklahoma City. I wrote that, too. He may very well stay there, but there's no question that Golden State and and Durant have an interest. But I understand that people who aren't really in the industry could think that. I I get it. Not everybody knows how this works, but I'm certainly comfortable with the sourcing uh, on anything I do, but that one especially. So Bill's a fan, you're a reporter, that's the distinction in your mind, or a, a major well, distinction I mean, in your mind. Yeah, I mean, listen, Bill, listen, I have great respect for Bill. He's built an unbelievable following and empire. Certainly, there's a lot to learn from him on how he engages his audience, his content. There's tremendous, but you know, this is a world that uh, I, I'm comfortable with how I reported that out. And I certainly, if I spent my time getting turned around by, I don't use sourcing three people removed. Yes, an executive on a team says, I heard that they're doing that. My threshold for reporting is way higher than that, and it will always be. So let's talk about brand building. I had to, I had to pull my car over uh, last year because someone called me and said, I think that Adrian's going to go to Sports Illustrated. Your contract was up. There are a lot of folks wooing you. You ended up staying with Yahoo. Let's talk about sort of why you decided to stay with Yahoo, why you started to build out a new site, because you could have gone a lot of different places. And instead you're saying, I'm staying with Yahoo, and I'm going to build a new thing here. Well, I just felt like I had a vision, a vision of building out something in the NBA space that was unique, that again, gave people things they couldn't get anywhere else in news, analysis, storytelling in lots of forms, data that was unique. And that but you could, you could literally do that anywhere else. And if you did it, say at ESPN, if you did a turn, there are a lot of different places where you could do that. And then also maybe have access to sports rights. Again, Bill, when he was at ESPN, had access to lots of different things because ESPN's in the business of broadcasting mm-hmm. NBA games. Yahoo, at least for now, is not. Right. Yeah, we don't need the video rights to be able to do what we're doing. Certainly not a prerequisite. I had a comfort level at Yahoo. They had a commitment to both me and to a potential staff. And then the staff we built, which I feel is 
tremendous and, and you see the content that we're already providing. But and you have real resources there, right? They're giving you real money to go out and hire people. We have, and we've been able to put together like a staff that I think really complements people who do things very differently than I do and have strengths that are very different than mine, whether it's you know Bobby Marks, who was a front office executive with the Nets and and what he brings to our audience from a front office point of view and uh, writers, you know Chris Mannix, who hosts our video our shows and, and wrote at Sports Illustrated does a lot of things really well to our, you know, Nick DePaula who does sneakers for us, the, the sneaker industry, there's a tremendous appetite with young, uh, you know, especially a younger audience there. And so, and then Draft Express having, you know, we have the, nobody in the world covers amateur players all around the world and has the video breakdowns, the analysis and we're going to turn the draft into a 12-month-a-year process. It's a global. There may be as many as 10 players from overseas in the first round this year. We're going to have video and breakdowns on all of them as well as the college. So, And, and it all gets back to delivering content to people they can't get anywhere else. So, again, you, you had a bunch of choices to go different places. You ended up at Yahoo. Now you're seeing what's going on at Yahoo. Do you have the ability, if Yahoo gets sold, if Yahoo gets split up in different pieces, to sort of opt out and take what you built somewhere else, or you go where it goes? No, I'm fully committed. I mean, I'm fully committed. I'm going to be at Yahoo. Uh, the vertical is going to be at Yahoo. I can't control if what you know scenario you described. Listen, I believe that we have tremendous audience at Yahoo. We have a global audience. We have a lot of users, and we've seen that in the traffic. You know, certainly the way we've what we've done in the past on the NBA, and then what we're doing with the vertical. You know, our numbers have been tremendous. They're going to get even better as we build out. As product helps us to build out and have individual landing pages for all of our people. When redesigns to have an app that makes it easy for people to access our stuff, um, that it'll be at Yahoo, and and I think whatever form it takes there. If we're doing our job the right way there, if we're giving people something they can't get anywhere else, we're going to have value in whatever form Yahoo's in. That is a politic, and I think probably an accurate answer as well. It's a good combination. <laughs> Woj, thanks for joining us. Peter, thanks for having me. Thanks, Adrian. Thanks to Digital Media, who produces and distributes both of our shows. They're doing an excellent job. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. You can catch all of this at Rico.net. You can hear us on iTunes. We have awesome other shows. My boss, Kara Swisher, has one called Rico Decode. Lauren Good and Kara have one called Too Embarrassed to Ask. Uh, we just did an awesome event in California called the Code Media Conference. You can find all of the audio from that over at Recode Replay. So you can hear interviews with John Skipper, Nigel Echoes, who runs FanDuel, etc. They're awesome. Subscribe now at iTunes.com and please give us a rating as well. That'd be great. Thanks again to our sponsors, SoFi and Mac Weldon. This has been an awesome episode. We will see you next Thursday with Daniel Weisberg and Carly Zakin from The Skin. See you soon.